And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hey everybody, and welcome to the World of Mythbits. I am your host, Stephanie Barty, and oh, here I go, here I go, here I go again. What's my weakness? Remembering what episode I'm on. I am on episode 49. Okay, this is episode 49. Welcome to October, ladies and gentlemen. My favorite month. Not because it's cooler and the trees look so pretty with all their colorful leaves. And I get to wear all my really cool sweaters and my turtlenecks and my funky socks. But because it's October. And it's Halloween month. <laughs> I call it Halloween month. I love Halloween. I love all things Halloween. I love dressing up. I love the decorations. I love the scary ghost stars. I love it all. Just love it, love it, love it. I don't like the cooler weather. Um, I would be quite happy if we could have Halloween month in, say, you know, July. But that's the price you have to pay, I guess. So we're going to get um, special announcements out of the way um, right off the, the hop. And... That is the awards for the open contract challenge are going to be issued this week. So those who have won something, keep your eyes open. That is coming your way. Yay! And um, there will be uh, definitely a new category in the magazine this month. Um, it will be micro flash fiction and drabbles however you pronounce it drabbles drabbles whatever um i don't know how to i i don't write them i don't know much about them um i do a podcast every week so you all know that keeping anything under a hundred words is difficult for me i can be a little long-winded and if you've read my writing, you know, I can be a little long-winded. So, but we are getting a lot of submissions um, and requests for that category. So we will be adding that category. Yay. Uh, love when new things come to the magazine. And um, I just want to clear up some misconceptions that were out there. Um, yes, we are doing a... Halloween themed magazine but if you have something that you want to submit and it's not Halloween themed submit it anyway and we'll take a look at it it doesn't have to be Halloween themed we are a full variety magazine so if you have a really good comedy story and it doesn't have Halloween in it don't worry about it. Send it in. You know, we like comedy. Um, you can also submit to more than one category. 
So if you've written a horror story and a comedy story and an action adventure story and a poetry and you have a picture, send them all in. Send them all in. We're not limited to one category. Now, you are limited to one piece per category. So if you send in, um, say, three or four um, comedy pieces and they're all accepted, because I, I like them all, then what will happen is they will be spaced out over upcoming issues. Now, you do have the choice to decide um, which one you would like to appear in the October issue, and if you would like to take those and submit them to other magazines for October, then that's perfectly fine. You can pull them and we'll, I'll send them back to you, or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's the we want to try and keep each category one submission per, but you can have a submission in each category, if that makes any sense. I hope that makes sense. Okay, so Halloween is coming. October. And surprisingly enough, yes, it is the 6th of October, and I have not dragged out my Halloween decorations yet. Um, I'm going to do that when my daughter is home, because that's something that we do together. And we have a lot of fun. I don't have a whole lot of decorations. I mean, I don't do the big blow-up things in the front yard. And um, we don't do pumpkins anymore. Because um, we don't have any little kids. And the last little kid that we did a pumpkin with was my granddaughter. <laughs> I think she was two at the time. And as soon as I cracked open that pumpkin and she got a whiff of what the inside of a pumpkin smells like... She started to gag. Oh my goodness. She could not handle the smell. So she basically sat in the living room with her mom and watched Amma dig out the pumpkin. And she directed from where she was sitting, you know, carve the eyes like this, carve the mouth like, no, no, Amma, don't do it that way. Do it this way. And uh, yeah, but she wanted no part of the actual smell. <laughs> She'll eat the pumpkin seeds after, but yeah. So we don't do pumpkins anymore, and I keep my decorations to my front garden. I do um, a graveyard because I have a huge maple tree in my front yard. So as the leaves start falling, it fills in my front garden with leaves. So then I have all these little foam um, and fiberglass tombstones that I place in amongst the remaining flowers and the dead foliage and uh, foliage. Sorry. I heard my aunt in my head correcting my grammar, my pronunciation. And I put all the tombstones in, and then I have Barbie doll parts, arms, legs, heads, and I stick them in and amongst the leaves. And um, I have a little cast iron cauldron that I put out on Halloween and I usually burn incense in it. So it's got smoke coming out of it and it looks really, really cool. It's just a little tiny, it sits in the palm of my hand for heaven's sakes, a little tiny thing. And I have some garland and, and witch and a pumpkin and a ghost that I hang up. And um, I used to have lights that I would put up in the window. I mean, when the kids were little, I went all out. We went all out. We did, um, we had ghosts hanging from the trees and, we did two or three pumpkins because each kid had to have their own pumpkin. So we'd have like three pumpkins out front and I had lights and stickers. And then I had a skull that 
glowed and changed colors and um, I would put that in the front window and then on Halloween night I would put my um, CD player in the front window and I would play like, tribal drumming music or I had a, a Halloween CD that had all creepy scary sounds and then um, and then one year I put my laptop and my speakers in the front window and I was playing like Thriller and Monster Mash and it's fun watching the kids come up the driveway and they hear the Monster Mash and they start dancing as they come up to the door and you know give me a treat and I'll, uh, give me a trick and I'll give you a treat so they'll do this little dance or whatever and I give them their treats and but we don't get many kids anymore um, as the years have gone by the numbers of kids that come by has dwindled a lot um, so I don't go all out anymore. And I mean, I used to decorate the inside of my house and, um, I don't go to that extent anymore, but I still love it. And I like to watch my scary and my traditional Halloween movies that I watch like Hocus Pocus and Practical Magic and The Craft, um, Nightmare Before Christmas. That one gets watched at Halloween and at Christmas. And... Katie and I will watch our Halloween movies together, my daughter. So Halloween's kind of cool around here. And we have our traditional Halloween dinner. And we've been having this, I've been having this Halloween dinner since I was little and as far back as I can remember. This is what my mom would make on Halloween. And we would eat it because it was the easiest thing for her to make. And it was the easiest thing for us to eat while she was applying our face makeup. And it is craft dinner, or for those who live in the States and don't have craft dinner, um, macaroni and cheese out of the box, the boxed macaroni and cheese, and hot dog wieners. It's quick, it's easy, you can shovel it in, you don't necessarily even have to chew, and you can have your makeup put on and get your costume put on and it's really easy for the mom to just whip that together and throw it at her kids and then send them out to get a whole bunch totally unhealthy dinner to go out and get a whole bag of totally unhealthy treats and we used to make candy apples and we'd make popcorn balls and you know but we just don't do that stuff anymore i still enjoy the month and i still have my little traditions that i do and um it's also a time for honoring your ancestors and, and they say that it's the time that the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead is at, is at its thinnest. So I'm a paranormal investigator. Great time to go ghost hunting. Let me tell you, October is my favorite month for that. And uh, yeah, so welcome to October. And I want to do something a little neat. I mean, I read a story. Um, a couple of episodes ago and um, I'm still looking to expand on that particular episode uh, but I thought since it's Halloween and uh, I haven't come across anything else in the vein that I was going with when I read Morgan Le Fay I thought I would touch on a couple of urban legends today so now, just so that we're all on the same page, I'm talking about an urban legend, urban myth, urban tale, or contemporary legend that is a genre of folklore comprising stories circulated as true, 
especially as having happened to a friend or a family member, often with horrifying or humorous elements. We're going to try and go for the horrifying. These legends can be entertainment, but often concern mysterious peril or troubling events. Okay, that didn't make any sense, but you all know what I mean. Um, such as disappearances and strange objects. They may also be moralistic confirmation of prejudices or ways to make sense of societal anxieties. Now, urban urban legends (laughs) are most often circulated orally and can be spread by media, including newspapers, email, and social media. Some urban legends have passed through the years with only minor changes to suit regional variations. And recent legends tend to reflect modern circumstances. For instance, the common legend of a person being ambushed or anesthetized only to wake up and realize that they're now missing like their kidney or a piece of their liver. And supposedly it was surgically removed for for transplantation on the black market. So I went looking around the interwebs and I found a site that has a few. So we're going to, we're going to read a few. Now these are 10 strange urban legends that turned out to be true, which for me makes them all the scarier. I mean, it's one thing to be sitting around the campfire and talking about the dude with the hook. I mean, everybody knows that story, right? You've all heard that one as a kid about the couple in the car and they hear the scraping on the car and they get all scared and they drive away. And when they get back into town, into the safety and, you know, the guy gets out of the car, there's this hook dangling from the handle, stuff like that. Every small town, every summer camp, every country road has this urban legend of the man with the hook. I think they even put him in a few movies, but anyway, It's the ones that have a grain of truth to them that started from an actual situation and grew from there that I find the creepiest. So let's see what we've got. Okay. The Pueblo Tunnels. Citizens of Pueblo City, located in the southeast of Mexico, told folktales about a mysterious network of tunnels hidden beneath the city. For hundreds of years, no such tunnels were ever found, so people assumed that they were nothing more than the stuff of legends. But then, in 2015, a construction crew discovered a very real tunnel beneath the city. Crews began excavating the site and eventually discovered around six miles of tunnels snaking under Pueblo's streets. The tunnels, which were believed to have been constructed from the 16th century all the way through to the 19th century, have been opened as a tourist attraction today. On the other hand, here are some forbidden places no one would ever be allowed to visit. Okay, shall we click there? No. Oh, why not? Let's click there and see where that takes us. Because this could just be a journey. This could just be a podcast on an urban legend. Where is it going to take us journey? Now, I'm getting all this information at the moment from the readersdigest.com website. Not that that's a promotion for the website, but just so you know where I'm getting my info from. Okay. So might as well leave these ones off your bucket list. If you want scary places, Snake Island, Brazil. Uh, 
I'm not even going to try and pronounce it because, okay, I'm going to butcher it. And anybody out there that speaks Spanish or even something remotely close to Spanish is going to tease me. Brazil's Ilha de Comida Grande, dubbed Snake Island, is home to a dense population of one of the world's deadliest snakes. The golden lancehead Lance head viper's venom is so poisonous. Oh, hello, CJ. Everybody, CJ says hello. 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 Are you done? Okay, are you done? Thank you. Now, shush, I'm podcasting. You know, it's Sunday night, and I'm podcasting. Now be quiet. Okay, he said his hellos. He's part of the show. Good for him. Okay, so the golden lance head viper's venom is so poisonous, oh my goodness, that it melts human flesh around the bite. And some claim there's one snake per square meter in certain areas. For safety reasons, the Brazilian government doesn't allow visitors and a doctor is required on a team of any research visits. I can imagine, and they probably have a ton of anti-venom. Ah, okay, so the UN buffer zone, Cyprus. Turkish troops invaded Cyprus in 1974, sparking a civil war between the Greek and Turkish inhabitants. When the fighting ended in a ceasefire, the United Nations took control of a no-man's land buffer zone in the country's capital of Nicosia. There, walls separate the Turkish community in the north, which Turkey, but no other countries, recognize as a separate state, from the Greek community in the south. Behind the walls are abandoned homes and businesses. Some civil-use areas allow civilians, but other areas have been practically untouched for decades much like these eerie abandoned airports. And there is a picture, and it is pretty creepy. Okay. Tomb of the Quinshi Hung China Farmers discovered the tomb of China's first emperor, Quinshi Hung, in 1974, and archaeologists have since found about 2,000 clay soldiers and expected that there are 8,000 still uncovered. Despite the excavation, the Chinese government has forbidden archaeologists from touching the central tomb with the first emperor's body, which has been closed since 210 BCE. The decision is partly to respect the dead, but also from fear that current technology isn't up to snuff for excavating without damaging the ancient artifacts. The whole thing is reminiscent of the mysterious chamber scientists recently found in the Great Pyramids of Giza. Chernobyl, Ukraine. I think that just goes without saying. Area 51, Nevada, because you'll get shot. (laughs) Take that off your bucket list. North Sentinel Island, India. Now why? In the Bay of Bengal sit the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, most of which are Indian territories. The Sentinelese tribe of North Sentinel Island is thought to have been there for 60,000 years, and it's one of the last communities in the world to remain totally isolated from outside societies. In 2006, the boat of two fishermen drifted into the shallows of North Sentinel Island, where the Sentinelese killed, killed the pair. Yeesh! Since then, there have been other reports of the tribe shooting arrows at passing helicopters. Because the Sentinelese haven't been in contact with the disasters others have built resistance to, contact with outsiders could prove deadly to the tribe. So the Indian government has agreed not to attempt any contact. (laughs) That would be good. Ooh, 
Vatican Secret Archives, Vatican City. Housed in a heavily protected area of the Vatican are 53 miles of shelves containing documents relating to the Catholic Church, dating as far back as the 8th century. Some artifacts include a letter from Mary, Queen of Scots, begging Pope Sixtus V to save her from beheading and documents of Martin Luther's excommunication. The archive opened to researchers in 1881, but it isn't easy to get a pass inside. Researchers who apply for access can only have access for up to three months and no more than 60 scholars are allowed in at once. Fort Knox, Kentucky. Well, hello. Um... There's a reason why people make jokes about, you know, it's built like Fort Knox, because you can't get in. Fort Knox vaults, home to most U.S. gold reserves, have been deemed the most heavily guarded place on the planet. No single person can make it into the vault. Several combinations need to be entered to gain access, and various staff members know just one. Even they wouldn't be able to get in without the help of their colleagues. So if it's ever, if it's ever, um, robbed, You'll know why. Ah, Svalbard Seed Vault. Now this, I can understand why you wouldn't want to be, wouldn't be allowed in there either. Plunging more than 320 feet, okay, I'm out, into a mountain between Norway and the North Pole, the Svalbard Seed Vault holds a massive collection of seeds in a vault designed to withstand man-made and natural disasters. If a major catastrophe happened, the 890,000 preserved seed samples from almost every country in the world would ensure diverse food options. The vault opens its doors just a few times a year and a limited number of depositors are allowed inside to deliver the seeds to its shelves. Still, climate change might test how effective the Svalbard seed vault is. In May 2017, melted permafrost made it inside, though none of the water, which froze inside, reached the vault within the leaves. with the leaves. Uh, Lascaux Cave, France. Prehistoric paintings in the Lascaux Cave were found in 1940 and it became a tourist site after World War II. The carbon monoxide from visitors' breath started to damage the cave paintings, which are now named a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and the cave closed to the public in 1963. Replicas opened for business after it closed, but only preservationists and researchers are allowed in the original. Okay, so let's go back to our urban legends. That was a fun little side trip. Okay, so the next one, the Alice Killings. The story of the Alice Killings. Now, this is a a Japanese story, so you may not know it. You might want to Google it. The story of the Alice Killings is one one of Japan's most famous urban legends, as well as one of its newest. The legend revolves around a series of killings that supposedly occurred between 1999 and 2005. The victims had no relationship to one another, and the killings seemed unrelated in every way, but they shared a hauntingly, haunting similarity. A single playing card was found on, by each body with the word Alice written on, in the victim's blood. For an unsubstantiated urban legend, the specifics of these murders were very consistent, right down to the names and grisly details of the murder victims. The uniformity of this legend, as well as its popularity, is most likely thanks to the internet. There is no evidence, however, that these killings took place at all, and whether or not they did is hotly debated. The truth is, though, that there was a serial killer who identified his murders with playing cards. 
but he operated in Spain, not Japan. Luckily, this playing card killer was caught in 2003 and sentenced to 142 years in prison. Ah, now I watched a documentary on this. This is Cropsy of Staten Island. And the documentary that I watched was incredible. You really should watch it. According to this creepy tale, Cropsy lurked beneath the abandoned Willowbrook State School for Children. In some versions of the tale, Cropsy was an axe murderer. In others, he was a monstrous boogeyman. In both, he was a murderous creeper hunting for lost children. And sadly, he was based on a real murderous creeper. His name was Andre Rant, and he worked as a janitor at the Willowbrook State School before it shut down in 1987. After that, he continued living on the grounds of the school and is suspected to be responsible for the disappearances of several children. Though this was never proven to be true, he was found guilty of kidnapping in 1988 and again in 2004. There is even a documentary called Cropsy that examines the truth about the man and the myth. That's pretty cool. Like I said, it was a really good documentary. All right. Next one. The Dog Boy. The Arkansas-based urban legend about a werewolf-like dog man roaming around the town of Quitman merely embellishes a true tale. In 1954, a boy named Gerald Bettis was born. The rumors around the town held that he was cruel and sadistic and that he liked to capture stray animals and do twisted experiments on them. His cruelty only grew as he got older and he was abusive to his aging parents. In 1981, his father was found dead in the family home and his death is surrounded in mystery. The newspapers said it was illness, but many townspeople believe it was murder. Bettis kept his mother basically imprisoned in the house until Adult Protective Services placed her in protective custody. I scrolled and lost my place. His mother testified against him in court and he went to prison where he died in the 1980s. People say that his spirit still haunts the house where he grew up and where his father died. In many versions of the legend, his ghost walks on all fours and is shaggy like a dog, while in others he appears as a towering man wearing a brown jacket and bow tie. Mm. The Bunny Man The Bunny Man. And how scary could that one possibly be? We'll start with the legend behind this one. The unsubstantiated substantiated legend holds that in 1904 a bus crashed while transferring patients from an asylum in Fairfax County Virginia the patient escaped the patients escaped of course and all but one were eventually recaptured shortly after the bus break the bus breakdown dead bunnies started appearing around the area many hanging from the Fairfax station bridge yikes but none of that has been proven true and historians claim that it can't, that it actually can't be, because there were no asylums in Fairfax County in 1904. What is true is that in 1970, a pair of mysterious and scary incidents occurred in that area involving a man dressed in a bunny suit. A young couple was taking a nighttime drive, oh, dum dum dum, the thing that legends are made from, when a man dressed in a white bunny suit hurled an axe at their car. While it broke their car window, neither of them was hurt. Only two weeks later, another Fairfax County man discovered an axe-wielding guy in a bunny suit chopping up the porch of a recently built unoccupied house. He was gone by the time police arrived. 
<clears throat> the real-life Bunny Man was never apprehended, and Fairfax Station Bridge has been all but renamed Bunny Man Bridge. The name is so popular that even Google Maps uses it. Charlie No Face The 20th century urban legend haunted residents of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The legend had it that a figure with a severely burnt face lurked in an abandoned train tunnel at night and made electricity go haywire with his very presence. Curious teenagers would sneak out to the tunnel to try and catch a glimpse of him. Well, it turns out that Charlie No-Face was actually a real person. But his name wasn't Charlie. His name was Raymond Robinson. And he had suffered a severe accident involving an electrical line that left him with a disfigured face. Because of this, he became a bit of a recluse, staying inside during the day and only venturing out at night. But he didn't do any haunting. In fact, he was friendly and would occasionally let curious teens take pictures with him in exchange for cigarettes. Aw, poor Raymond. Ah, the Polybius video game. According to this legend, a video game called Polybius, I'm probably saying that wrong, was released for about a month in 1981, Portland, Oregon. The game was designed by the government to be a psychological experiment. It functioned like a drug and it gave its players seizures and nightmares. Government officials would come in and extract information about the players through the arcade machine. Though the game was was almost certainly not real, there are a few video game-related happenings that probably spurned the legend. One was the game Tempest, which did cause epileptic reactions and motion sickness among some players when it was released in 1981. Another was the FBI agents did inspect an arcade around the same time investigating reports of gambling. Ah, well, there you go. Video games will rot your brain and get you put on a list. Gators in the sewers. Everybody knows that urban legend. Gators in the sewers. There isn't a single urban legend. This isn't a single urban legend, but you've no doubt heard it at least, heard at least one cautionary tale about fully grown alligators lurking in city sewers. Some of the more outlandish legends claim that New York City, of all places, has a whole colony of gators living beneath its streets. While this is far from the norm, there have been several real accounts of fully grown alligators living in sewers, especially in the southern United States. In states like Florida, where alligators live in the wild, storms and flooding can wash full-size alligators into the sewer system. And police officers did pull a two-foot-long baby gator from a New York City sewer in 2010. But the gator colonies are pure myth. A full-grown gator couldn't survive a New York City winter. Le Leon. Mm. Recently, the people of Switzerland began telling stories about a mysterious figure who walked through the mall's forest wearing camouflage and a gas mask. For ten years, there was no evidence that this figure existed just a few eyewitness accounts in the newspapers. According to those accounts, he didn't show any signs of being dangerous or malicious, but he sure was creepy. With no concrete evidence of his existence, the figure remained in the realm of folklore. People began calling him the Ghost of Malls or Le Leon. In 2013, though, his existence was proven when a pedestrian snapped this photograph of Le Leon. A few months later, his gas mask and camouflage coat appeared in the woods, along with a mysterious note hinting that he was harmless and could no longer stand being viewed as some kind of monster. Whether Le Leon 
actually committed suicide or simply abandoned his persona and wandering habits remains unknown. Aww. Murderous Medicine Cabinets. In 1992, the film... Oh! This is why I have a 19-year-old daughter. In 1992, the film Candyman earned its place as one of the scariest movies of all time. No kidding! One of the most famous scenes involves a murderous spirit with a hook for a hand busting through the heroine's medicine cabinet. As if it weren't scary enough, the idea that an apartment can be breached through its medicine cabinet isn't just silver screen fiction. And, in fact, it did happen. In 1987 Chicago, a woman named Ruthie McCoy was killed by a group of intruders who entered her apartment through the gap in the wall made for the medicine cabinet. The shabby Grace Abbott housing projects where McCoy lived were built with holes in the walls for the medicine cabinets, which provided the only, which provided the only flimsy barrier between adjacent apartments. While Candyman was mostly based off a short story, The Forbidden, the filmmakers also drew inspiration from They Came Through the Bathroom Mirror, a detailed journalistic account of the murder and the horror of the housing projects. Yeah, see those ones? Those what? Yeah. Candyman scared the hell out of me. I'm just going to say that. Yep, right out there. Okay. So, we're only half an hour in. Let's keep going with some of the spooky stuff. 50 of the spookiest urban legends from every state. All right, so. Holy jumping. That's 50. Well, they're short, so let's see how many we can get through. Alabama, Huggin' Molly. The legend of Hug and Molly is clearly a tool used by parents to get their children to obey the rules. The story, native to Abeville, tells of a phantom woman who appears to children if they stay out late at night. She grips the lingering child tightly and screams in their ear. She's not meant to cause death, just one hell of a fright. Okay, so the Kalapalak, Alaska. The Kalapalak, an Inuit version of a mermaid or siren, calls to children who are wandering too close to the seashore with her humming, then takes them away in her baby pouch. The greenish woman-like creature will never return a child once taken into the depths. Sounds like a good way to convince your kids not to go in the water. Okay, Arizona, Slaughterhouse Canyon. Also known as Luana's Canyon, Slaughterhouse Canyon tells the gruesome tale of a 19th century gold miner who failed to come home to his family one night. Without his earnings, the mother and her children couldn't buy food and began to starve. When she couldn't stand it any longer, the wife chopped her kids into pieces, tossed them into the nearby river, and died of despair. Her cries can still be heard echoing through the canyon. Arkansas, the Gurdon Light like many urban legends, the story of the Gurdon Light has several variations. In one, a railroad worker was hit by a train and decapitated. His spirit can still be seen today searching for his lost light. In another, the railroad worker bore a violent grudge against his boss who had fired him. He murdered his former employer with a railroad spike, and the victim now wanders the tracks. While the Gurdon Light is well documented, no one has been able to offer an explanation as to what it really is. Now, I think you can find... A legend like that in just about any town that has train tracks that run through it. I know in the town that I live in, um, the train used to run right through the bottom of town across the waterfront because it would pick up stuff that would come in from like the lumber yard and the shipping and all of that and off it would go. 
and there's a bridge um, out down Highway 12, I believe it is. And everybody calls it the mouse hole because it's this little tiny bridge. And the train used to go over top of it and cars would drive underneath this little tiny bridge. And it was a very narrow bridge. And um, there were many accidents in this bridge, which is why they moved the road. Especially when the train stopped coming through and they took down the trestle over the, the road and they took down the tracks and all that in that area. And um, the, the mouse hole is one of the greatest areas for people if they want to go to a haunted place, that's where they'll go. Because the stories have carried on generation to generation um, about, you know, if you stand on the top, you can still hear the train coming. You can feel the rumble of the tracks beneath your feet. Meanwhile, there's just grass. You can hear the crash of the cars beneath you. You can hear the screams of the people that are dying. Um, so I think every place that has train tracks has some kind of urban legend surrounding those train tracks. I know the subway station in Toronto, um, there are several stations that are full of ghost stories. And um, there's one in particular. They closed this particular station um years and years and years and years ago because they reopened one like kind of above it better updated and all of that and um, I know somebody who worked on those lines and they were part of the team that would clean the tracks and you know if there was a jumper they would go and have to clean that up and there is an urban legend of a woman in red that walks the tracks and her, her story varies from bit to bit. Um, she fell between the tracks or between the subway train and platform. Um, she f jumped to her death when the train was coming into the station. She was pushed, but all the accounts are the same when they see her. You know, this woman with red lipstick, wearing a red dress, walking the tracks. Um, yeah, so you have train tracks, you have urban legends, and more than likely a ghost or two. Okay, so let's pop over to California. Charman of San Antonio Creek. Per local lore, a father and son were trapped in a horrible fire. The father perished, then, before help could arrive, the traumatized son lost his mind. He skinned his father and then ran into the forest. Now known forever as Charman, his blackened burnt body is said to attract motorists on Creek Road in... I can't pronounce that. O-J-A-I, you can pronounce it, where he seeks more human skins. Ooh. Okay, Colorado, the Ridge Home Asylum. I've heard this one. The Ridge Home Asylum was a real facility that opened in Arvada in 1912. It reportedly housed patients who were horribly mistreated. 
most of whom weren't even mentally incapable, but had just been forsaken by their families. Though it was demolished in 2004, people can still hear the screams and see the apparitions of former patients on the grounds. Now, I have heard this about a lot of abandoned mental asylums. Um, Waverly Hills, Waverly, is it Waverly Hills? I think it's Waverly Hills, is a big one. Um, There's several penitentiaries. Oh, I can't. Drawing blanks on names tonight. Wow. Okay. But abandoned insane asylums and abandoned hospitals are hotbeds for urban legends and ghost stories and possibly a haunting or two. (laughs) Just saying. Connecticut, Dudley Town. The misfortunes that have occurred in Dudley Town are so terrible and numerous that its nickname is the Village of the Damned. And now completely, the now completely deserted town is said to have been home to many suicides, disappearances, and even demonic activity. It is believed that the founders of the village, and by extension the village itself, are forever cursed. Hmm. I think I need to look into Dudley Town. That sounds like a neat place to visit. Delaware. Okay, Fort Delaware. A prisoner camp during the Civil War, Fort Delaware in Delaware City, was ultimately home to more than 30,000 Confederate soldier inmates. A few thousand that died before they could leave the Union Fort are said to still haunt the area. And that's true of a lot of um, Civil War battlegrounds. You can hear cannon fire, you can hear the shouts of the men as they charge into battle. Um, Fort Henry is, is said to be haunted. Fort Erie is said to be haunted. Um, yeah. Okay. Florida, Captain Tony's. Since 1852, Captain Tony's, the oldest saloon in Key West, has been known to be haunted. Doors slam for no apparent reason. And there are inexplicable banging noises and frequent ghostly visitations. Perhaps that's because it's the site of the town's original morgue and was built around a tree that the town once used for hanging pirates. Ah. Georgia, the Song of the Cell. As the story goes, in 1848, Alec and his wife Betsy, both slaves, were in their home one night when their master, drunk and belligerent, crashed open the door. He attempted to attack Betsy, but Alec fought him off. Undeterred, the master chased Alec up a ladder into the loft. As the struggle continued, the master lost his balance, fell out of the loft, and died. Even though Alec turned himself into the sheriff the next morning, explaining that what happened was in self-defense, he was still charged with murder, par for the course, in the antebellum south. Alec was was imprisoned in the old Lawrenceville jail and later executed unjustly for the crime. People say they can still hear his sorrowful song travel through the walls of the old jail. Oh, that's sad. Have to click to the next page. All right. So we're going to leave off with that at what state? We're going to leave off at Hawaii. We'll bookmark that. 
the next week. And now we're going to go over to 12 of the most haunted places in America, according to paranormal experts. Now remember, paranormal, the study of the, par- of the paranormal is not an exact science. And to say you're an expert in the paranormal just means you have experience and you have gone out and you have investigated and you have, you know, a few years under your belt. And I say this as a paranormal investigator. Okay. Now, remember I was talking about Civil War battlefields. Gettysburg. Big one. Big one for being haunted. Three-day Battle of Gettysburg claimed the lives of more than 50,000 men from both the Confederate and Union armies, making it the deadliest battle of the Civil War. It's only natural that there is some residual energy here, says Joe Svella, manager of Ghostly Images of Gettysburg's Gettysburg Ghost Tours. I'd say it's the most haunted small town in America. The story. A few years back, Svelha was leading a group of school children on a history tour of the Jenny Wade house. Now, if you don't know the Jenny Wade story, you need to look it up. It is such a heartbreaking story. This poor woman. Oh my goodness. And it's said that she still haunts her house and her father still haunts the house as well. Look up the Jenny Wade story. Oh my goodness. Anyway, okay, sorry. Oh, it's hijacked. Where was I? Um, on a history tour of the Jenny Wade house, the site where Jenny Wade, the only civilian remembered, remembered to have died in the Civil War, was killed by a stray bullet. The group was walking down the stairs from the second floor when Svelha and the children noticed a young boy in Civil War era attire standing on the landing. A moment later, the boy vanished. So did the students, who dashed back up the stairs, back up the stairs in fear. After the sighting, the group didn't stick around to finish their tour. They went straight back to their bus and left, he said. (laughs) Other sites in Gettysburg, along with the Jenny Wade House at 528 Baltimore Street, Stalha recommends the Gettysburg Orphanage located nearby at 777 Baltimore Street and the Sachs Covered Bridge spanning Marsh Creek, on the banks of which the Confederate Army set up an ill-fated field hospital. Okay, Savannah, Georgia. Yes, the entire town of Savannah, Georgia is haunted. The entire town. Entire town. I kid you not. I've been there. It would be hard to conceive of a city more conductive to ghost stories than the perfectly historic Savannah, Georgia. For Kelly Hudler, a travel agent based in Jacksonville, North Carolina, it's one of her favorite spooky spots in the South. The story. While Savannah is brimming with haunted hotels, taverns, and town squares, Hudler says the home at 432 Abercorn Street in Calhoun Square is perhaps one of the eeriest places she's ever visited. The house gives you a bad feeling, she says. Longtime residents also say that the home, which was originally completed in 1868 for Civil War General Benjamin J. Wilson, emits a negative energy. Adding to the mystery is the fact that the house has been abandoned for years. Now, other sites in Savannah? Sorrel Weed House, where the opening scene of the film Forrest Gump was shot. Um, If you're looking to stay the night, Kehoe House or Foley House Inn, both of which are said to have haunted histories. And pretty much anywhere in downtown Savannah. Okay, now. New Orleans, Louisiana, the city of the dead. 
chalk it up to cursed land, yellow fever outbreaks, or the fact that half the city was burnt to the ground twice. Many locals will say that they cross paths with New Orleans past residents all the time. Paranormal activity occurs when there is a death associated with heavy emotions, says Sidney Smith, owner of New Orleans Haunted History Tours. Then New Orleans is unparalleled. The story. One of the most infamous landmarks in the French Quarter is the La Laurie Mansion in 1140 Royal Street. Now, if you've watched American Horror Story, you'll remember from Coven season, the La Laurie Mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you're getting it. Okay. The home was built in 1832 for New Orleans socialite Delphine Lalaurie, who lived there just two years when a fire broke out. When officials responded to the blaze, they discovered Lalaurie's tortured and mutilated house slaves, according to a report published in the New Orleans Bee the following day. The townspeople found out as well and attacked the residents in retaliation, destroying much of it. Tour the outside if you dare. We've had maybe a hundred people faint in the exact same spot over the past 20 years, says Smith. We don't talk about it before the tour either. It's always just the exact same spot. Now, other sites in New Orleans, Sultan's Palace at 716 Dauphine Street, the Place d'Armes, the Hotel Provincial, Building 5 is the site of many of the hotel's hauntings, and Andrew Jackson Hotel. And if you've had enough of that, you can kick back with a drink at Lafitte's Blacksmith's Bar, where female guests say the women's bathroom is particularly eerie. Now, we had a theater in town when I was a kid, and it was called the Roxy, and it was downtown, and it was the only theater in town. Had two screens, had a concession stand, and that was it, and bathrooms. And you could, later on in the 80s, you could rent movie, the video cassettes and stuff like that but the bathrooms were in the basement and even just walking by the stairs to go down to the basement you got that creepy like I'm getting that creepy feeling now you get that creepy tingling in the base of your spine and then to go down into the actual bathrooms in the downstairs part of the theater you didn't want to go alone because you just got so overwhelmed by the creepy negative feeling down there. It was just, oh man. And you ask, I mean, I thought it was just me. And then I started talking to people when I got into paranormal investigating. And many, many, many people experienced the same thing that I did. The same feelings, you know... You go to the bathroom, you wash your hands, and you're pretty much, by the time you're exiting the the ladies' room, you're running. And, you know, you run back up the stairs, and as soon as you're back up the stairs, the feeling's gone. And you're back amongst people, but you feel so alone when you're down there, so isolated and, and, and vulnerable. It's, it's really pretty creepy. Um, okay, so Oregon City, Oregon. Traveling homes and disrupted spirits. Okay, so I think this will be the last one for this week. And I know it's it hasn't been an overly... I haven't been chatting your ear off. I've been reading stuff to you and telling you stuff. So I hope you enjoyed it. Okay, so the last one. With a tiresome history bound to the Oregon Trail, England's Hudson Bay Company, and historical churches, 
cemeteries and homes, along with their owners' graves, being picked up and moved from one part of the city to another, it's only natural that parts of Oregon are never truly at rest. So, paranormal activity at the Ermitager House, the third oldest home in the state of Oregon and the oldest in Oregon City, is what first got owner of the Northwest Ghost Tours and founder of the Oregon Ghost Conference interested in leading tours. In the mid-1800s, when the home was first built, it was frequently used for town meetings and city decisions. One guest, who many believe was a steamboat captain who frequently boarded at the Ermitager house, still has a presence today, in particular at his favorite seat at the head of the dining room table. My first experience in the house was when I was locking up one night and I walked behind the chair, says Smith, noting that the way the table is oriented, the chair would have had to have been pushed in in order for him to walk by. And when I came back inside, the chair had moved out about two feet. It would have been in my way if it had been pulled out when I left the room. And he says that the chair often pulls out about 20 times a day. You will leave the room and come back and it will be pulled out. Other sites in Oregon is the McLaughlin House, the Bridge Tender Tavern, and Kenton Station. And they all attract paranormal enthusiasts. Plus, Oregon boasts one of the 14 most haunted bodies of water. So, that is your urban legend and creepy stories for today. I hope you enjoyed them. And I will see what I can dig up for you next week. Maybe I'll have a scary story or two. So I hope you all have a good week and we will chat with you next week. Don't forget to visit our website at www.theworldofmyth.com and you can find The World of Myth Bits on Facebook at The World of Myth Bits Podcast or on Twitter at The World of Myth Bits Podcast. You can find the magazine on Facebook at The World of Myth Magazine and on Twitter at The World of Myth Magazine. And you can find me, your lovely host, at um, author Stephanie Barty on Facebook and Lupa B on Twitter and Stephanie Barty author on Instagram or you can email me at Stephanie at the world of myth dot com. I have to wait. Wait, nope, that's the wrong email. Hold on. Uh, I don't even know my own email anymore. All right. My email is, oh, sorry, Stephanie Barty at theworldofmyth.com. <laughs> okay, anyway, have a good night, and we will talk to you all next week. Uh, bye-bye. The World of Myth Bits.